Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Well, we're going to open up with this first lesson. It starts with you. And we are going to take an example from the scripture, because really when we think about it, you know, God is the one who guides and directs us in all things. You know, it occurred to me, just because it was a couple weeks ago, I thought, man, he has the answer for everything. You know, everything from health to raising kids to decision-making, and I thought, we need to search the scripture. And he says, call to me and I will answer you, and will show you great and unsearchable things you do not know. That's Jeremiah 33.3. Call to me. That's our job. He will answer and show us great and unsearchable things we do not know. And there is so much we don't know. You know, I, when we became parents, nobody gave us a book. We didn't, it didn't come natural. I just knew we were leaving the hospital with Tara and thinking, we're responsible for this human being. <laughs> and wow, that kind of blows you away, right? And so one of the things that we did do before we ever became parents was there was a uh, seminar very similar to this. And we went. We had only been married about two years, but we went. We didn't have any children, but we thought we need to learn something before we have kids. And so we want to look at this scripture. But just as we are thinking about it, you know, why is it so important for us to be equipped? Because really, when you think about it, the family is the building block of society. When you have healthy families, you're going to have a healthy society. And I worked for the Department of Special Education for 28 years. And my, I worked specifically with kids with emotional disabilities and kids with behavior problems. And it always went back to the home. What is happening in the home? Why is this child acting up? Why can't this child succeed? And it was always going back to the home. So it's in the home where it all starts. And then in the home, it starts with us. You know, how well we do will determine how well our kids do and how well our family does. And so it's important to address what is our role. And so I want to look at this scripture from Nehemiah 4, uh, 4 through 18. And let's read it uh, with me. After I looked things over, and let me give you a a background. Nehemiah found out that the walls of Jerusalem had been destroyed. And he asked the king he was serving under, can I go back and help? to rebuild, to gather a bunch of people to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. When you think of a wall, a wall is meant to keep something out, but it's also meant to keep something in, to protect. And, that's, and this is the idea as we build walls around our family. But he, he goes on to say there was, there was some opposition coming against him. He says, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And so there's a sense of we need to fight. We cannot be passive when the enemy is coming against us. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The picture here is that 
he didn't just stay working, but he was on the lookout. He was constantly on the alert. The officials posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out. How many of you feel that way about parenting? <laughs> you know, the work is extensive. This, this gets exhausting. And, you know, we can't just retire from that and say, I quit. You know, we can't do that, right? The work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our Lord will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve as guards by night and workmen by day. When you consider this scripture, this passage, it really is painting a picture of being on the alert, you know, building a wall, protecting our families, fighting for our families. And, you know, it's, it's not one of those things or situations where it's just going to work itself out. We have to be actively involved, actively alert, what is coming in and out of the walls of our home. And, and all of us doing our part, all of us doing our part. The men, especially as God raises you up to be the godly leader, you're the one on the alert. You know what's coming in and out. I remember sometimes we thought Mark was a party pooper, but we'd be watching movies, the girls and I, and he'd say, you know, that's not a really good movie to watch. Because, and then he'd start saying this and that and this and that. And we're like, man, you know. But he was watching what comes into our house through media. And so I was, it's actually kind of funny, but he would actually monitor how much candy we ate. Because <laughs> I would say to the girls, like, let's go get candy. And... He would be like, you know, I don't think you guys should be eating that much candy. <laughs> but it is important that we are on the alert and that we become aware of what's out there trying to get into the walls and how, where do we build those walls, you know, around our family. And so we're going to look at, you know, just what are we building when we're building the walls? What are we trying to keep out? So what does the world look like? You know, this is just a short list but we see today, and it was, it's, not a, it's not just today, but we see abortions happening. It's a, it's a worldwide stronghold. There are some times where there are strongholds over nations, and there are strongholds over families, and there are strongholds over culture, but abortion is a stronghold over the world. And redefining marriage, you know, so, uh, we know recently that the um, Supreme Court uh, approved same-sex marriage. And so it's redefining what is really marriage. Um, child and spousal abuse, cohabitation, easy divorce. It's sad to say, but even within the church, there's been uh, a rise in divorce. And we want to, you know, as the church, we want to be an example. Pornography, homosexuality, uh, radical feminism. You know, the whole thing came out, I think it was uh, in the 60s, um, where it was women's rights. And they talked a lot about women's rights, and it actually became pretty um, pretty much a, a worldwide belief and stronghold. Safe sex, you know, um, 
feminization of men. We, we, we have seen that, you know, and it's really not about men who are feminine, it's about an identity issue. Many of these are about an identity issue. This is the way they show up. And then, of course, masculinization of women. And again, it's an identity issue. And so, as you look at this list, can anybody else uh, think of anything else that they're coming up against in this, at this time, besides what you see up there? Corruption, okay? Yeah, because corruption actually teaches our children, go ahead and lie. You know, don't, don't tell the truth. What else? There's one that's kind of common in our generation that the previous generation did not experience. Mm. You ever go to a restaurant and watch family behavior? What do you see sometimes? Yes, <laughs> everybody's on their device. Yeah, social media, right? That's a challenge. Yeah. yeah. You know, when Nicole was, grow was in third grade, I think it was third or fifth grade, um, and she was at a Christian school, we found out that there are probably 25 kids in the classroom, and only three of them, including Nicole was one of them, lived with their real mom and dad, and everybody else did not. And this was a Christian school. And when I was working for special education, I had this one kid, and every week I would have to ask him, who do you live with now, your grandma in Marizzo or your dad in Derido, I'd have to ask because every week he was living somewhere else. And so, you know, when the breakdown of the family happens, you know, the kids are affected, right? And so God is in the process of redeeming the family, and so we can have hope uh, with that. And so that's a picture of what the world looks like and what we're facing and why we need to build walls to keep healthy families. And so we want to turn a corner and look at what is God's blueprint for the family? What does a healthy family look like? And so there's one thing, we, and that is order. God is a God of order. And in Ephesians, the Bible reveals that marriage is actually a, a, a symbol of our relationship with God. And God is a God of order, and he wants to give peace in our lives. And so there needs to be uh, unity and agreement. And one way that we can do that is having a relationship with God. He's the foundation and the center for a healthy family. So, for example, if I could just illustrate it this way. Let's say this hand represents the husband. This hand represents the wife. And they're two individuals. Imagine a lightning bolt between the two, representing conflict. Every relationship has conflict. We've discovered over the years, counseling hundreds of people, that every person is incompatible with every other person. <laughs> There's going to be conflict if you get close enough to rub shoulders. And they have unique interests and values and vision about life. And very often, the typical scenario is, let's say this is the husband, his focus is on his career. And very often during the child-rearing years, the focus for the mom is on the kids. And so you have two different priorities. And as they head in the direction of those values or priorities, they go in different directions. And over the years, they can get further and further and further apart until one day they're in the empty nest and they look at each other and go, who are you? Because we've grown so far apart. What we need is a common denominator where we can both draw close together. And that's where God comes into the picture. If we can both have a relationship with God, imagine a triangle that goes up from mom and dad above to God. 
The closer you get to God, the closer you get to each other, and you become one. And so that's actually the purpose of marriage, is oneness. In Genesis, it says a man will leave his mom and dad, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become what? Shall become one. And not just one physically, but most importantly, one spiritually. And that happens through your relationship with God. To be one in your fellowship with God. And then becoming one in every other way. Financially, socially, in your values, in your goals. And so, the godly family has order and peace, unity and agreement. And yet also, there's diversity and freedom. We don't want conformity, but we want enough freedom that... Children can grow up to be themselves. And, you know, Terry and I, we have this funny thing going. Every time we see these positive qualities in our kids, we go, she got that from me. <laughs> Terry says that sometimes. I say that too. But, you know, there's another element where I say to myself, you know what? This is unique, different from Terry and I, and this is a person from God. Uniquely created in God's image, having their own gift package and complexity and uniqueness. And we need to be able to have the freedom for our kids to grow up into the identity that God has given them. Amen? So there's just a quick snapshot of some qualities of a healthy family. I remember back in 2000, I think it was 2008, uh, the Lord was leading us to go to Elijah House for about a year and to do, to do some internship. And we came back from the States in 2008, and we said to the kids, you know, um, we feel like we, want, we need to quit our jobs and go back to Idaho in a year. And I had already resolved in my heart that I would not go, we would not go unless we were in agreement. And the kids at that time, were, Tara was a senior in high school, Nicole was a freshman. And it took about a year for them to just, you know, for us to talk about it, to... Uh, look at what that would mean for everybody, and uh, it was toward you know the end. Of, uh, I mean, the end of that school year that they said, "Yeah, mom, we feel like we're supposed to go." And so we picked up as a family, and we moved in agreement, and we moved in unity. And and sometimes it's hard to wait for that to happen. It's it's better. It was it's easier when they're little kids, and you say we're going, <laughs> you know. But when they're older, and they have an opinion, and it's hard to wait and to get everybody on this page of agreement. But when there's unity and agreement, it's so nice because you can move together. Everybody's in agreement. We're cooperating. And if we, and we did, if we encounter difficult times, we can say, okay, we all agree. And we all know that this, is, this was going to happen and that we would walk through it together. So sometimes I, I think it's more of a challenge for when we start having teenagers and up into adult children, when their opinion begins to matter and begins to play a role. And diversity and freedom, you know, as, as parents with uh, adult kids, and even as they start growing up from middle school, there is a sense that we are going to struggle with this because we need to let go of our dreams and our desires for them. It's hard. You know, I remember when Nicole decided that she was going to major in music, one of the thoughts I had was, can you make any money from that? <laughs> you know, every parent's like, okay, can, are you going to get a job? Can you make money? But there was just, we had learned enough that we said, Lord, we're going to release them to who they are. Who did God create them to be? The Bible says, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're older, they won't depart. from." And I used to interpret that, and I think it still can be interpreted as, you know, train them up in the word of God. And when they're older, they won't depart from that. 
But really, when you look at it, as you break it down, it's, th it's, it's meant to say this. Train up a child in the way he, the child, should go. And when he, the child, is older, he will not depart from himself. That's a whole different thing when you think about that. And so our role as a parent is to say, who is this child that God has given me? What's in them? And call that out. And call who they are. And... I remember when the girls were younger, I couldn't see it, but Mark said, you know, Tara's the swimmer and Nicole is the, the basketball player. I was like, how do you know that? And you know, by the time Nicole was in, in fifth grade, she started picking up a basketball. And she started going for it. And then she was in basketball the whole season of when she was in middle school. And then when she got to ninth grade, she was on varsity. And that's very unusual for a freshman to be on varsity. Tara, at the age of 11 or 12, hit the water, and she swam like a fish. And she went on to compete in the um, South Pacific Games at the age of 14 and won some medals. And see, I, I think the father is the one that God allows to see what's in that child and call it out before they, it, even, it even is shown. He said, you know, that's who she is, that's who she is, I can see it. And so when you can see who your child is, you can call it out, you can get them to start playing sports or, you know, music's in them and, um, or whatever might be in them. And so, men, I just want to encourage you to say, Lord, show me who my child is, is so I can call that out. I have to share a quick story. It's not so much a mystery like men have some kind of uh, <laughs> intuition. <laughs> Usually it's the wife, right? But there was these experiences we would have. There are real life experiences. So like I would be teaching my child how to enjoy water. That was my thing. I want water to be fun. So she'd be in the bathtub and I was teaching her how to blow bubbles. So I said, okay, without putting your nose under the water, just blow bubbles. She'd blow. And then, okay, put your nose in the water, blow bubbles, and then your whole head. And the first time I told her to dive underwater, she came up like this. Yes! <laughs> like victory! just from a little dive in the bathtub. And I said, man, this is going to be fun. <laughs> and she yeah. was a, I knew she was going to be a swimmer. <laughs> so, you know, um, I just wanted to share that, that diversity and the freedom to be who they are. And, and you know, uh, as parents, we die to who we want them to be. We want them to be who God has called them to be. And you can have three children and all of them be different. And Tara is... is and Nicole are similar in some ways, but they're very different in other ways. And we had to see them for who they, who they were, who God has called them to be. So that's kind of what a, a godly family looks like. But what does a godly parent look like? The first thing is, what a godly parent is not, is not a hypocrite. We're going to look at a scripture in Deuteronomy 32, 46 and 47. He said, always remember the song I have taught you today and let it be a warning that you must teach your children to obey everything written in the book of God's law. If we're going to teach our kids how to, what to, uh, how to obey what is in God's law, we also need to be able to do that. The law isn't empty words. It can give you a long life in the land that you are going to take. Proverbs 20, verse 7, the just walks in his integrity. His sons or his daughters are blessed after him. This is very much a picture of a parent who is modeling uh, consistency, a, ch uh, a parent who's modeling um, faithfulness, and children are watching. And you know, it's interesting, but kids can catch us when we are hypocrites. They won't use that word, but they'll say, well, you said, and 
now you're doing this, and they can catch it, can't they? And I, I want you to know that there is no perfect parent. God is the only perfect parent. So when we do find that we've been uh, a hypocrite or we've not lived up to what we're trying to uh, teach, it's very simple. We just simply ask them, we confess it, and we simply ask our kids to forgive us. Really, it's, I've, I've had to learn how to ask my children, even my adult children, to forgive me for things that the Lord helped me realize later. So the first thing is, uh, he's not, he or she is not a hypocrite. And the second thing is that they walk closely with God. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 8 says, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God is the only true God, so love the Lord with all your heart and strength. Memorize his laws. Tell them to your children over and over again. You know, sometimes my kids, you know, they know already what I'm going to say. But you know what? I still say it. You know, you should trust God. You know, we should pray about that. Oh, Mom, I know. <laughs> we should pray. I know. Let's pray about it now. You know, um, we should trust God. Well, have you asked God? You just, I just say it. You know, God showed me this or showed me that. And so... We don't want to, you know, overwhelm them, but we need to speak about God's law and about who God is over and over again. Talk about, uh, about, talk about them all the time, whether you're at home or walking along the road or going to bed at night or getting up in the morning. Write down copies and tie them to your wrists and foreheads to help you obey them. And so we first need to be able to be in God's word, to know God's promises, and to teach them then to our children. And we can do that in ways where we're just we're in a situation and all of a sudden we need to trust God at that moment and they see us pray and God comes through. Or, you know, God teaches us something and we share it at the dining table. You know what God showed me today? And what they want to see is they, what they're looking for is somebody who is not perfect but somebody who's consistent. They want to see, okay, my parents consistently trust God. They're not perfect, but they consistently turn to God and trust God. And so we need to be able to continually talk about God's law. We walk closely with the Lord. Point number four in your notes, what does a godly household look like? Uh, number one, dad is submitted to Christ. When I was a young believer, as a student at the University of Hawaii, we went to a student conference in Kansas City in 1983. It was a student uh, college conference, 17,000 students. We called it KC83. And uh, we went there. Kansas City in December is freezing. And one of the guest speakers there was Billy Graham. And he had the students, uh, he challenged us to a lordship decision. And he said, if you're willing to submit to Christ and give your life to him, I want you to stand up. And I tell you, lots of people stood up all around me. But I was a young Christian. I hadn't really dealt with lordship yet. And I was sitting there like this. And I watched the people around me stand. And I said, you guys are crazy. Do you know what you're doing? You're giving up your life. That was my unrenewed mind. That was what I was thinking. But I tell you, I went home to my hotel that night. And the Holy Spirit just wrestled with me for two days. I was just in turmoil. Because I knew the Lord was calling me to let him be Lord in my life. And after two days, I surrendered to him, and I gave him my life. And, you know, it's been a process of continuing to resurrender my life over the years. But God was preparing me, knowing that one day I would have a family, and I would have a kid. 
and I would have two. And what kind of home would I have was very much dependent on my relationship with God and whether or not I was submitted to Christ. So in our discipleship process, in our church, it's important to be that fork in the road, like Billy Graham, where you challenge people to make a decision. Who are you going to live for? Yourself? Or are you going to live for God? And you have no idea how important that decision is because you could be affecting a life and, a f- and families for generations. And so, number one, dad is submitted to Christ. Number two, dad is loving mom as Christ loves the church. That is, sacrificially. And so, my kids, we have this funny thing going, you know, I'll say I love you, and they go, I love you more. And I go, no, I love you more. And then when they were little, we'd play this game, go back and forth, right? And, uh, and then we'd go back and forth, I don't know how many times, until I would just tr- decide, okay, I'm going to put a, a stop to this. I'm going to say, whoever loves the most, serves the most. And they go, okay, Dad, you win. <laughs> and so now that's been the thing. They say, I love you. I say, I love you more. They're like, yeah, I know, okay. <laughs> and so we need to be loving our wives sacrificially where we're serving and we're giving. And isn't that the model that Jesus had for us? Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And so that's the model. Submitted to Christ, loving mom, and mom is submitted to dad and respects him. And so this is very much a difficult thing, especially in our culture, where in the culture, women are very strong. And as you begin to get discipled and you start hearing about the father being the head of the household, doesn't that conflict with our culture? And so I have found that the best way to deal with this is not to talk about women's rights or liberalism or all of this, but I challenge the men. You need to rise up and you need to be the leader that God has called you to be. Because when a woman sees that a man is taking responsibility and that he's loving you unconditionally and that he's serving you, She'll go, oh, okay, this is nice. I'll be be taken care of. Yeah, exactly. You know, but if we're couch potatoes and we're not doing anything and, you know, the bills are not getting paid, she's got to get up and take responsibility. And she's like, you know, I don't trust you. And then what we lose our role as being leaders. But if we'll be servant leaders and if we'll love with all of our heart, then we gain the respect and the trust that is needed to be a leader. And I tell you, this challenge to love unconditionally is the greatest challenge I've ever experienced. I remember there was a season in my life where every week I prayed the same prayer for like a year. God, would you enlarge my heart? Because I became aware, I became convicted of how selfish I was and how I didn't have the capacity to love. And I said, God, change my heart. And eventually God answered that prayer But it's got to start with the desire to say, Lord, I need you to help me love as you do. Amen. So submitted to Christ, mom, loving mom. Mom is submitted to dad. And then lastly, children obeying both mom and dad. Now we're going to talk, the very last, not the very last, number three, the the third lesson today is about discipline. We're going to teach you how to do discipline in a way that will help your kids learn how to obey mom and dad. But I tell you, if you do it right, uh, you'll have peace in your home. There'll be order. There'll be so much less stress. And you will be a witness to people around you. I remember a friend came over to the house for dinner. 
And Nicole, she must have been about five, six years old. And in those days, we didn't have carpet in our house. It was just tile. And she was bouncing a ball in the hallway. And you know when you have tile, bouncing ball, echoing through the house? And it was just distracting and disturbing to the adults having a conversation in the kitchen. And the ball was bouncing and came rolling out into the living room, and she was running after it. And she was wearing her favorite dress, which was one of my big T-shirts. And I leaned over from our guest, and I said, Nicole, and I just went, and she saw me. We made eye contact, and she said, okay, Daddy. She grabbed the ball, and she went in her room. Later, that couple that was visiting in our living room, they got in their cars, they left their house, and they said, did you see that? Just one look and nod his head, and she was like obedient and listened. And that was the result of applying some of the things we're going to teach you in lesson number three today. But that's what a godly home looks like, children obeying both mom and dad. Someone uh, said to me, it was probably about a month ago, they were having some problems with their kids, and they said, and so their child came to talk to me. And I was listening and so on, and then listening to the mom later. And she said, you know, Auntie Terry's kids, they're perfect. She doesn't know. And I was like, no, you have no idea. We had, well, really, we had issues in our marriage that took us to Elijah House. And when we got some healing, our family got some healing. What you see is the result of us dealing with some of our issues. And this is why it's so important we talk about it starts with us. You know, back before we ever went to Elijah House, Mark had been a pastor for 14 years. And we had two kids at the time. Tara was probably already maybe eight or nine. Nicole was about six or seven. And he was a workaholic. And I had control issues. And our family was in trouble. Our kids, you know, they would say, well, is daddy coming home? I'd be like, your, dad is, your dad's working right now, so let's just eat dinner without dad. You know, and mom had control issues. And so we, we had to get some healing before our family could get healed. And what I want to say is, this is where we really need to stop and think. You know, I love, Donovan, what you shared, and even Frank, that we are affected by what has happened as children in our own families, where our mom and dads maybe did not discipline appropriately, or maybe didn't give affirmation, or whatever. We, we've picked up stuff from our mom and dad. Even if we say we haven't, we have. You know, we see it later in life when we become mom and dad. You don't see it right away until you're in the same situation. All the ingredients are right. You now are a parent. You have children who are challenging you. And all of a sudden you said, oh, man. I said, I would never do that. I would never be like my mom and dad. And I remember um, when I had the kids, when they were older, I realized later that I had judged my mom for something that I ended up doing. So my mom was a teacher, and when we'd all come home from school, she would say, I want everybody to be quiet now because I'm really tired. And, of course, are kids going to be quiet? No. We, there are eight children in our family, and we probably had four at the time, and we're loud and would wake mom up, and she would get up, and she would lose it. She'd be upset with us. And sometimes we'd, be, we'd leave the house, and we'd go sit in the bus stop to wait till my dad got home because we were too afraid to stay home. Well, guess what? I don't remember thinking anything bad about my mom. I don't even remember thinking judging her. But I grew up, and I became a teacher, and I had two kids. And I would come home, and I would say, be quiet because mom wants to take a rest. And they would make noise, and guess what I did? I did the very thing that my mom did to me. You know, I would get upset with them. 
you know, I had to apologize to my adult kids as I realized that in later years as I was getting some healing. The point of this is this, and that is we have to look at our own wounding. We have to look at our own beliefs. We have to look at the ways we've been hurt and how we are hurting our kids because it's the, that saying wounded people wound people is true. And what's really difficult to face is that the people that we wound are the people that are closest to us. Our husbands, our wives, our children. Those are what we call primary people in our lives. And so it comes out there. You won't see it at work. You probably won't see it with an acquaintance, but you'll see it at home. And so today, I, as, we, as we end this first session, Mark is going to talk a little bit about how to get healed of our own past wounds. Because when we deal with that and we bring those to death, and the way that happened for me was, you know, I went back and I forgave my mom for screaming and yelling at me, and I asked the Lord to forgive me for judging her, and then I had, and that I became like her. And one of the things that she used to do, my mom used to do, was we'd always rush in the morning. She was a teacher, everybody get in the car, let's go. You know, sometimes we didn't eat breakfast. And we, you know, sometimes my brother and I would be like, oh, man, you know, mom's taking off and we were home. We didn't finish eating breakfast. And my dad would say, you know, never mind, I'll take you to take you to school. Well, I used to rush my kids all the time and I didn't know it. And just about two years ago, I was in Portland with the girls. They were, they were both living there at the time, going to school. And we started going out to the car and they were, you know, moving a little fast. And I said, you know what? I am not going to rush because my mom used to rush me. <laughs> and they stopped and they looked at me, and all of a sudden I realized, I was like, oh, they go, Mommy used to rush us all the time. And right there in the street, I said, would you forgive me? And, and you know, kids are just, their heart is so good. They'll just, oh, yeah, and I'm like, no, I am sorry. Would you forgive me? And so even though we have adult children, it is not too late to go back and get it right with them because I had wounded them from something I had been wounded with. By my mom. So I want to use Terry's example and just kind of break it down step by step, some principles that she applied in breaking bondages. This verse here, Galatians chapter 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be a burden, be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So a couple things in walking free. Number one, we need to identify the problem. So Terry began to recognize that the very thing that had been done to her as a child, she was doing to the girls. And so that's the first thing. If we can't see it, we can't get free from it. One of the first steps to freedom is being able to name it. If you can label it, if you can identify it, that's the first step to having victory over it. Have you ever noticed that the things you have victory over are the things that you can talk about? And the areas where we're still in bondage we don't. It's like, it's hard to go there. But a sign of victory is being able to label it and to name it. Let me just say something real quick about that. It's not that hard to find out what it is. All you simply have to ask yourself is, what do I do that, like what I, my parents did to me? What are the things that I do that I don't like that's, a, that's hurting my relationship with my spouse and with my children? That's all you have to ask. And then ask the Holy Spirit to show you what is that how you respond or some action that you do. Uh, you know, you might be, oh, well, I'm really quiet like my dad, but it's not just being quiet. It's about you're passive. And maybe your dad was passive. 
whatever that might be, but just ask yourself, what is it that I do that hurts the people that are around me, the people that are most important? Could be just something as simple as being critical. You know, I do that. I've heard a couple of us talk about that. And so that's something that really can undermine relationships and joy. So identify what it is. Then secondly, we simply need to confess and repent. Lord, I don't want to be this way anymore. So just confess and repent what has been revealed to you. And recognize that it came from somewhere. Somebody probably did this to me, whether it was mom or dad or whoever, and as a result, now I'm repeating it. Terry said, hurt people hurt people. And so we need to look back and ask myself, if I'm doing this, who did it to me? And then f- to forgive that person. Now, we may not even remember that, that it had been done to us or that we had had a, an attitude or a judgment about it. One way you can tell is if you're repeating the pattern. So, for example, uh, some of you have heard this story before, but some of you haven't. When, when I was little, my dad would reach back in the car to pinch us if we were being rowdy. And, you know, when you're five years old and a grown man grabs you behind the thigh and pinches, you're like, and what can you do when you're, you know, less than 30 pounds? And I had forgotten all about that. But then I grew up, had kids, had a car, they're playing in the back seat, and one day I was in a ganya, I remember it, I reached back to pinch them, to, like, keep still, you know? And the moment I did that, I realized, man, that's exactly what was done to me. And I realized I must have judged my dad because now here I am, I'm doing the very same thing. Romans 2.1, you can write this down, powerful verse. Romans 2.1 says the things we judge, we also do. You can flip that backwards. The things I'm doing, if it's sin, I had also judged. 2.1. Chapter 2, verse 1. And so um, that's a key to kind of recognizing the root cause of my behavior. I judge somebody who did the same thing to me. And now the process of sowing and reaping has gone into effect in my life. And so we need to forgive those who have wounded us. Then number four, renounce the sin and close the door. Place the cross, the power of the cross, between you and your judgment of, like, say, in my case, my dad who pinched us in the back seat of the car, and say, Lord, you came to reap the judgment of, of sin so that I don't have to. Lord, you reap my own judgment against my dad so that I, it stops the process of sowing and reaping in my life. Number five, receive God's forgiveness and cleansing. And I have to say that this can be a very difficult step We know God forgives us, but sometimes the hard part is forgiving ourselves. I mean, aren't we our own worst critic? You ever mess up and you're just like, man, why did I do that? And we know God forgives us, but we condemn ourselves. And we have to go through a process in receiving his forgiveness where we say, you know what, God, you forgave me. I choose to agree with you, and I forgive myself. And so the thing is to extend forgiveness to yourself, learn from the situation And then move on. And then lastly, number six, ask the Holy Spirit to break the behavior and thought patterns that you've been accustomed to. And so there may be certain attitudes or even beliefs in our mind 
that cause us to behave the way we do, we need to ask God to renew our minds. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not of this world, but divinely powerful for the tearing down of strongholds. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I think that's 2 Corinthians 10.4. And when it talks about tearing down strongholds, it's talking about thoughts in the mind. We are taking every thought captive. And the original language reveals these thoughts are not fleeting thoughts that come and go. You ever have a thought that you, comes and then you forget? You ever walk into a room and wonder, what did I come into this room for? <laughs> okay, we're not talking about those kinds of thoughts. These thoughts are like permanent fixtures of the mind. So it's talking about beliefs, and in some cases, entire belief systems. And God is in the process of tearing down those ungodly beliefs and replacing them with truth in this process of renewing our mind and in the process of sanctification. And it's in the renewing of our mind that we become transformed. Amen. An example in my own life was that for many, many years, I believed I had the thought, and it was a pattern, and it was just part of what, how I thought. But I used to believe that uh, nobody would take care of me. And my behavior was, therefore, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to ensure that my needs are met. I'm going to uh, make plans so that I, I, I used to have budget A, B, C, D, you know, just plan A. If something went wrong, I had a, plan, a backup plan in my mind. And that was a thought pattern that followed me my whole life. And I didn't even realize it. It was the Lord that revealed that. But my behavior was I couldn't trust anybody to take care of me, not even Mark. Even though he was trying to take care of me, it's like I couldn't receive it because your thought pattern is uh, even stronger than what other people are saying or doing. And so that's what he's talking about, a, a thought pattern that is a, like a permanent fixture in your mind. It's a, it's a belief that you have. And then lastly, daily allow the Holy Spirit to conform you. I, I kind of summarized that at the end already. 